He says, these are the scriptures that speak of me. Okay, so we don't read the Old Testament as this separate story, and then we come into the New Testament and say, oh, well, now it's about Jesus. No, everything in the New Testament or in the Old Testament points to the New Testament about Christ. The point is all roads lead to the gospel. All roads lead to Christ. Okay, so we're going to start our teaching this morning back in Genesis 1. It was one of the passages that they read earlier. And the first five words of the Bible are this. Kids, you all even know this. Camp Redstone kids, tell me what are the first few words in the Bible? In the God created. In the beginning, God created. Okay, that's the most powerful and important five words in all of Scripture because it shows us that everything began with God. All things begin with God. And as we look at this whole chapter of Genesis 1, we see that it was Him, it was God who was doing the creating, creating, yet He Himself has existed for all eternity. And there's no way that we can get our minds around the fact that God has always existed. He says, I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, I am the beginning, and I am the end. Now, it's important for us to note that as the Lord was in the process of creating each living thing, whether they be plants or fruits or birds or sea creatures or livestock or creeping things, all of the beasts in the the world that we would look at today, it says that he made them according to their kinds. So they were like each other. You know, the fox was um, like the wolf, which was like the dog and so on and so forth. But over and over and over, he says he made them according to their kinds. However, when he made man and when he made woman, it says that he made them in his own image. And this is where we get this term, and you've heard this term before. It's imago imago dei, okay, imago dei. It just means the image of God. So we're not like all of the other creations We've been made in the image of God. And the reason that we bring this to you this morning is because we need to understand as we move forward and understand who Jesus is and how he has come to us, it's in this this entity of an imago dei, a person, a man, a baby in the image of God that he chooses to come to us and fulfill um, this redemption story. It's, it's through the person of Jesus Christ that he chooses to come to save the world. Okay, so let's look at the passage again. So Genesis 1, 1 and 26 and 27 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then God said, Let us, keyword, make man in our, another keyword, image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So I want you to see three specific things in this passage. The first, in the beginning, implies the beginning of time as we know it, yes, but also the beginning of God's eternal love story, his story of redemption of mankind. 
And this is also seen in our Galatians 4.4 passage where it reads, when the fullness of time had come, which is a very specific date that was planned by God, that he had appointed for all eternity in which he himself would fulfill these things. The fullness of time, or as Matthew 5.18 says, for truly I say to you, until all is accomplished. So the first point is that God had a plan. The second point that you need to make note of in this particular passage is, we know that, even Camp God himself is the creator of all things. Now, we know that. Even Camp Redstone said that a moment ago. In the beginning, God created. God himself is the creator of all things. And then the third part is, it was the Godhead existing in three parts, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that was active and they were in unison as one in the creation and in this creation process. If you'll notice, this passage make man in our image, and then it jumps to God, singular, singular God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created them. So scripture in doing this is declaring that Jesus himself was there, and he was a part of this creation, and therefore he is fully God. Okay, so we're going to look at a couple of other passages together. Okay, look at this one with me. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. We read this a moment ago. This is speaking of Christ. Colossians 1 says, for by him, who is the him here? It's Jesus. Okay, so for by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before, him, um, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Genesis 1 tells us that God created. Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus created, and you know where I'm going with this, Consider these passages also from Colossians 1.15. It says that he is the image of the invisible God. We read Hebrews 1 a moment ago. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And then John 1, 1 we read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So when Matthew 1.23 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive, this is our Christmas passage, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, that is precisely what it means. Jesus himself is God, eternally existing as the Son of God, creator and sustainer of all things which were created by him and were created for him. And that takes us to our first point today, okay? The glory of the Advent, Camp Redstone, listen to this, this is so important. The glory of the Advent rests upon the truth that Jesus was and is fully God. We've got one point today, and this is the first half of it. Jesus was and is fully God. Wayne Grudem wrote Systematic Theology, and he reminds us that in John 8, 57 and 58, when asked if he had seen Abraham or not, Jesus responded by saying, before Abraham was, I am. 
And when he did so, they picked up stones to throw them at Jesus because what he had said was blasphemous. Okay, Because we know that in Exodus 3.14, um, God said, um, I am who I am. And Jesus, in using this I am term, he was declaring himself to be God. So either what he is saying is true or he's blaspheming the, the name of God and they're going to stone him. And I was trying to figure out this week, I was at the Redstone office, I was upstairs at the coffee company, and I was just struggling, like how do I take this concept of God being creator and the Holy Spirit and God the Father and God the Son all being active in creation and Jesus being Emmanuel, which is God with us, how do I take all of that and break that down into simple terms? And I just gave up. I was like, I don't know. I don't know how to do it. So I just put my stuff aside. And I was like, I'm just going to go walk and I'm going to go pray. And I was walking and I was praying and I was at the covered bridge. And there was this passage that came to me. And literally, I didn't know where it was. So I had to go back and I had to look it up and find out where it is. Let me read this passage to you. Colossians 2.9, it says it this way. And it breaks it down and it makes it so simple. It says, for in him, Jesus, in him, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. That's it. In Jesus, all of the deity of God dwells bodily. In Jesus, all or every bit or the fullness of the deity of Almighty God dwells. And I absolutely just love that concept. This is why when Philip says to him in John 14, 8, Lord, just show us the Father and that will be enough. Jesus looks at Philip and says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And earlier he had said, I and the Father are one. And as this Advent series builds to the point that the Christ child is born, we will see how important that it is that eternal God himself came to earth. Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He was the prophet. He wasn't just a king. He was the king. He wasn't just a representative of God. He was God. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is God, and all of Christianity rests upon that important fact. But it doesn't stop there. We continue, and we go back to one of our passages this morning, Galatians 4, 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God sent forth his son when the time was right, and he was born of a woman, just like we are, and he was born under the law. John 1, 14 says this, And the Word, speaking of Jesus, eternally Jesus, that was there at the beginning in Genesis 1, 1, when it says, In the beginning God created that same Jesus, all things were created by him and for him, Colossians tells us, that same Jesus that was there at the very beginning, the Word, he became flesh, and he dwelt among us. He incarnated to us. He left heaven and he came to earth. Okay, And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
And this is another one of these concepts. It's hard to get our heads around the fact that Jesus was fully God, but he was also man as well, fully man. So here's a couple of examples from Scripture. And I could give you a lot more than these, but let me just read a couple of these. Luke 2.40 says that like normal human beings, that Jesus grew up and he became strong. Okay? Luke 2.52 says that he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So he's you know, increasing in his wisdom, his body is getting bigger, and he, um, his favor with God and man continued to increase as well. John 4, 6 says that he was wearied, he got tired. He's God, he's fully God, but he's fully man, and he got tired from a journey. Matthew 4, 2 says that he was hungry. When he learned that Lazarus had, Lazarus had died, and when he looked over Jerusalem and remembered that his own people had forsaken him and turned from him, both, in both um, cases it says that he wept, he cried. John 19.28 says that he was thirsty. He went through a learning process just like we did. Luke 2.52 says, again, that he increased in wisdom. And the point is, with these and other additional scriptures, he was fully human as well. So when he was born of a woman and the word became flesh, that takes us to the second part of our only point of the day. Okay? The glory of the advent, which we've already said, rests upon the fact that Jesus was and is fully God and Jesus was and is fully man. Consider these words from Philippians 2, 5 through 8. These are some of Sam Adams's favorite scriptures in the Bible. He quotes them a lot. It says, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but, and I love this, he emptied, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I mean, people, the glory, the whole glory of the advent is the fact that God the Son would choose to humble himself and come to us and become like us. He would be born as a baby just like we are, and he would grow up like us, but all through this time, he and he alone would remain sinless from the beginning until the end, which is why Paul says in Romans 5.19, for as one man's disobedience, Adam, as one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so the sins of Adam are passed on to us, um, Psalm 51 tells us that we are born in iniquity even from the time that our mothers conceive us that we're born in iniquity. Okay, it says, but by one man's obedience, Jesus, one man's obedience, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. The one man's obedience declares us righteous if we would believe the gospel. Fully God and fully man. 
and listen to the benefit of him becoming like us in Rome in Hebrews 2:17 it says therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation if you'll remember back in our Gospel 101 series, that's an amazing word, propitiation for the sins of the people. It basically means that he took our sins upon himself. He took our place on the cross, fully man, like us in every respect, and he gave himself for us. And why is this important to us on a day-to-day basis? Well, let me give you two particular scriptures. This is Hebrews 2.18. It says, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus understands the things that you're going through on a daily basis. We may not think that he understands, but he does fully understand. Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but with one who in every respect in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet Jesus and Jesus alone, it says, was without sin. He knows. He's been there. He understands. He stooped down to walk with us and to incarnate himself amongst us. He became like us in every single way. This is complex. This is not a simple teaching. Jesus fully God and fully man. Now you'll hear this term from time to time if you're reading a commentary and there's even a Christian group named this that sings. The term is hypostatic union. Okay? um, Hypostosis is the word that it comes from. But hypostatic union just means that he's fully God and that he's fully man. It means the sustenance or the nature of individual existence. So when Hebrews 1.3 says to show us that Christ is the imprint um, of God the Father, it says God's nature. That's that word. That's that word in the Greek. So it's the two natures of Christ coming together in perfect unity, fully God and fully man. Now, Camp Redstone, hear this, okay? And adults, hear this. This doesn't mean that he was partly, what would it be, red, and then partly yellow, so you put him together and you get orange, okay? He's not part man and part God. He's fully man and he's fully God. Now, this is such an important concept that there was this council, it was called the Council of Chalcedon, and it was back in AD 451, and they came together to declare in in writing what this concept means so that the church did not start teaching heretical or false teachings. They took on this concept and other concepts and they put them in writing. And I'm going to read this to you. This is what the Council of Chalcedon in AD 451 said about this hypostatic union. Are you ready for this? It's a mouthful. You think we give long definitions today? Listen to this one. Therefore, following the Holy Fathers, we all with one accord teach men to acknowledge one and the same God, our Lord Jesus Christ, at once complete in Godhead and complete in manhood, truly God and truly man, consisting also of a reasonable soul and body, 
of one substance with the Father as regards with his Godhead, and at the same time of one substance, substance with us as regards to his manhood, like us in all respects, apart from sin, as regards his Godhead, begotten of the Father before the ages. <sighs> I'm halfway done. But yet, as regards his manhood begot, uh, begotten for us men and for our salvation of the virg- uh, Mary the Virgin, the God-bearer, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, recognized in two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. The distinction of natures being in no way annulled by the union, but rather the characteristics of each nature being preserved and coming together to form one person and one substance, not as parted or separated into two persons, but one and the same Son and only begotten God, the Word, Lord Jesus Christ, even as the prophets from earliest times spoke of Him and our Lord Jesus Christ Himself taught us and the creed of the fathers has handed down to us. Okay, now I want you to repeat that back to me and let's go over that. That's the hypostatic union. And the, 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 the Chalcedon Council said we have to do our very best to explain this in a way that we can carry this concept you know, from generation to generation to generation so that our kids would not see Jesus as orange. He's not a mixture of God and man. He's fully God and he's fully man. And I know, I mean, I know that that's one ridiculously long definition, but it's such an important concept that we want to make sure that we walk out of here today. If we haven't heard anything else, we know, all I know is that Pastor Jerry said that Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. And if you get that, you get a hundred for the day. You can forget everything else that I've said. Okay, and I'm going to close with this. Everything that we're going to be learning about and singing and discussing and celebrating over the next month is tied to this critically important fact, this important truth. All of our hope rests upon this truth. All of the gospel rest upon this truth. All of eternity rests upon this truth. Christianity is not like other religions where people are trying to make them presentable to their God. No, with Christianity, the eternal God who created everything, are you hearing this? Fully God, fully man, He comes to us and He comes for us. This my friends, is why we celebrate Advent and why we celebrate Christmas. It's why we sing, you know, O come, O come, Emmanuel. You know, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. He's come to us, O Israel. It's why we sing joy to the world. The Lord is come. It's because He is Lord, fully God, and fully man, and he has come to us. Matthew 1.23, I said it earlier, Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name 
Look at this. Everybody see it. It's up on the screen. They shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. Jesus, fully God, fully man. Advent, we wait for him. We're reminded that he came once, which is why we celebrate Christmas, and we're reminded that he is coming again. This is why we take communion, to remind ourselves that he is going to come back for us. So we're stepping into this season of Advent, this season of waiting. Church, Redstone Church Elizabethan, let's do our level-headed best to not get sucked into the stress and the debt and all of the other things that can come at this time of the year and forget that God humbled himself and he came to us. And when we sing joy to the world, the Lord is come, let's remember that he humbled himself and he came to us because he was coming for us. This is the glory of Advent. Let's pray together. Father, I love, love, love um, just studying this concept, being reminded of these truths from your word, Lord, because they reminded me of things that I needed to be reminded of. Lord, thank you for coming to us. Lord, thank you for, for becoming a man like us. Lord, thank you for humbling yourself so that you might present yourself as the one and only sacrifice, the propitiation, the one that would take our place. Lord, we love you. And Lord, I pray that over the next uh, three weeks following this week, Lord, as we enter into this time of, of waiting, I pray that you would help our hearts to align with these passages and to be reminded that Christ has come and that Christ will come. Let's just be still before the Lord for a few moments. Let this truth sink in and then we'll close.